Welcome to the I Work For Him podcast. I'm Michael Miracle, producer of the I Work For Him radio program, the voice of the faith and work movement. Our mission is to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. What does that look like in your workplace? Let's find out right now. Thanks for tuning in to I Work For Him this afternoon as we broadcast you right from our local studios in Tampa. It's nice to be back again. But I want to thank all of you listening from across the country, whether you're listening right here in Tampa Bay on AM 570, or FM 102.1, or maybe on iHeartRadio.com or Let'sTalkFaith.com, however you're hearing the show today. Just know that we're grateful that you tune in, and just know that Martha and I are thankful that you are allowing us to introduce you to the ministry idea that your workplace it's your mission field, and in that mission field, you and me may be the only Jesus our coworkers and employees may ever meet. Martha, before we get to the main crux of the show today, we have a huge announcement to give to everybody, a huge answer to prayer. We do, that's for sure. Are we going to set it up at all, or just... We've been asking <laughs> you to pray for the IRS agent in charge of our 501c3 application for months, that not only would they approve us quickly... But number two, that they would be impacted by the message of I work for him. Now, while we haven't heard from the IRS agent personally, which that's a good thing, by the way. <laughs> last night, when we got back from our trip to Naples and Fort Myers being on location, what did we find in the mail? Well, as we've become in the habit of doing for the last five months, we checked the mail pretty obsessively. <laughs> and so when, even though we got home at a very late hour, you went out. And early got, hour. Or early hour, however you want to look at it. Um, you went out and got the mail and brought it in. And uh, I was unpacking a little bit and you walked in and held this piece of paper in front of me. And it was our approval letter from the IRS. So we'd like to praise God right here on the airwaves after one year of working on our 501c3 so that we can expand the message and the ministry of I work for him on the air as a broadcast ministry and a mouthpiece for the faith and work movement from around the country. We've been approved. We can officially start raising some money. And we just want to thank all of you for praying alongside of us. And that's the end of our commercial portion. Oh, listen, the crowd goes wild. The crowd goes crazy. <laughs> All right. Hey, you know, Martha, I believe it was bad, bad Leroy Brown who lived on the south side of Chicago. He wasn't known for his love or his ministry, but for the danger that came from his being. The south side of Chicago has been known for decades as one of the most dangerous places in America. However... The Lord is moving in great and mysterious and mighty ways on the south side, and we're here to tell you about it. While reading Tom Nelson's latest book, The Economics of Neighborly Love, I read about Hope Works Chicago. Rebecca King is from Hope Works Chicago. She is a passionate, visionary, and energetic leader who is a co-founder of Hope Works Community Development, a not-for-profit development company focusing on empowering community residents through job readiness and training tools on the south side of Chicago, Rebecca King has spearheaded the growth of of an organization serving 700, now that's prophecy, 750 individuals to over 3,000 on an annual basis. That's what's coming up next. Rebecca King, Executive Director, Co-Founder of HopeWorks Community Development, welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you, Jim and Martha. I'm so grateful to be with you both today to share about the work we're doing at HopeWorks Chicago. 
Well, what do you think about that prophecy? Instead of 75 like to it. 300, 750 to 3,000. Just I, moving a decimal you know, point. I'm penciling that's it all. into the strategic plan right now. There Put you it, go. That's good. Put it on that, that the Lord made my lips move that way uh, <laughs> and, and, and made it that way. All right, Rebecca, you, let's just jump right into it. Martha and I are so excited to highlight what you're doing. And when I read in another book, somebody who's highlighting a ministry, I was so excited just to hear Tom Nelson's passion about what you guys were doing. I'm like, that's why I reached out to you several months ago. Let's just talk about Hope Works Chicago. Uh, you graduated from Wheaton College, right? I did, yes. And, and when you graduated from there, did you plan on moving to the south side of Chicago? I mean, being in the Chicagoland area, was were you planning on staying there? Not at all. You know, I'm actually originally from Montana, so my little joke is that none of my life makes sense. And I'm grateful for that because God has had bigger <laughs> plans than I had for myself. Um, I, I graduated from Wheaton, and I originally thought that I would move overseas, actually. That was my plan. I had a few things lined up. Um, but really, continually through my studies, and even from when I was a young child, I had felt this calling to be involved in mission work. And through kind of process of discernment and prayer, really felt like international relief and development work was what would make most sense for me. Um, but I'm really grateful that God called me to be a local missionary instead. So, so, so what drew you to um, the area that you ended up in now? Yeah, you know, originally I had worked for several years in the broader Chicago area and the suburbs very different than the south side of the city. I really didn't know much about the south side of the city at that point in time. But as I became increasingly aware of the needs that we see in our own local communities, I was so struck by the disparity of housing, education, and employment opportunities, and even the networking opportunities uh, that are really vacant in some of the communities right here at home. And I got connected Mm -hmm. with Living Hope Church, uh, which helped start us, and that it was at the time when they were really looking to initiate a community development corporation to really extend and live out their mission to further engage their neighbors. And I just really fell in love with the work that they were doing and the community of Woodlawn where they were placed. And this opportunity to really reframe my own expectations of what God was calling me to do and to really serve in a local way. All right. Now, but coming from Montana, you know, the south side of Chicago is known nationwide as not one of the safest places. In fact, it's known as not one of the safest places. How did your family, your mom and your dad, your siblings, your aunts, your uncles, your grandmother, your grandpa, whoever, whatever family you have, how did they deal with your decision to move to a place where everybody would say, you got to be kidding me? Well, they did say that at some points in time, but, you know, I think in some way, and my parents would tell you this, that my family has always been prepared for me and expected for me to be involved in mission work in some way. So in a lot of ways, it wasn't a surprise. Um, And although, of course, they're concerned and they care about me very much, we all rest assured that really the safest place to be is in God's will. (laughs) <laughs> but that's, you know, somehow for me as a parent, if you were going to go to like Bangladesh, somehow that'd be easier for me than going than going to the south side of Chicago, just because well, we, we've heard, I've grown up here in stories about the south side of Chicago. I, I, I drove through the south side of Chicago a few times and it was intimidating. So, I mean, how did, I mean, how did you work that through with your parents? Because I don't know, as a dad of of a millennial, I got two two millennials, 
that would have been a real struggle for me. Oh, absolutely. A lot of a lot of patience, a lot of prayer, and a lot of trusting God. You know, this is a job that I've chosen to do that is for me really a calling. And I think even on a personal level, if if I didn't feel like God was calling me to be here, there there are many reasons why it wouldn't have worked. And I'm grateful that you know, and I, I don't count that lightly at all to really have that confidence of God's calling in my life and to really trust and rest in that place. Mm-hmm. And I think just to just to respond to what Jim was asking, so often we are have more faith in the unknowns, oh, you know, absolutely. than in the knowns. And so because it's a little closer to home, per se, um, I think that there's a different level of faith because you're like, well, I kind of know some of the dangers as opposed to in another part of the world where it's unseen for a family. But I love to hear the faith that's involved there. So when you came to the South Side, what did you find? Yeah, you know, even picking up off of your comments, and I appreciate that, it's mm-hmm. been such an important part of my own faith journey <laughs> to really to really see what it means to be involved in those communities in the U.S., in our own cities, that oftentimes as Christians we want to avoid or we want to, you know, pretend don't exist because it's messy or complicated or dangerous. And I, I've been grateful for God really calling that out in my own life. And mm-hmm. as a part of that, I've really... You know, been so struck by really this lesson I've learned over and over that people want the same thing. You know, what I found in our community is that there are parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles who all want a safe home for their children. They want opportunities to grow as individuals and as families, to have opportunities for quality education, and to have that economic stability. Right? On some level, I think these things are a really helpful leveling tool for all of us. Just to remember that, you know, at our baseline, most people want the same thing. Today we're talking with Rebecca King. She's the co-founder and executive director of HopeWorks Chicago. And you can find out more about them online at hopeworkschicago.org. Rebecca, you were saying right before the break that the people of the Woodlawn neighborhood on the south side of Chicago, they want the same things that we all do. They want a safe place to live. They want a chance to get a, a great education. They want a chance for economic stability. But how did Hope Works Chicago come to be? As you came in and got in contact with Living Hope Church there on the South Side, how did you guys come together to form this organization? So Living Hope had uh, purchased an abandoned building in the Woodlawn neighborhood, and through its work restoring, uh, it was an old pool hall, which I share because it's such an intimate part of our story of being a community location. Um, it had been abandoned for 10 years, and everything you could imagine happening in an abandoned building happened there. So when the church was able to purchase it, there was a tremendous amount of work to be done. And they were able to employ people directly from the community to be a part of that work. And that was really the first impetus to start HopeWorks, to focus on this need for work. So I got connected with the church in early 2014. And at that point, the church really committed to initiating the organization. So we spent the better part of that year really uh, surveying the community, talking with as many people as we could, getting feedback, asking what would be needed. And we had a pretty good idea that work was a tantamount need, but we wanted to get a lot of buy-in from the community, a lot of 
you know, certifying what we were seeing from our perspective, that that's indeed what was needed and what was wanted. Okay, let me, so, let me just, let me just mm-hmm. interrupt you there for a second, Rebecca, because there's a lot of people listening. In fact, most of the people listening today don't understand what you mean, that there was a need for work, because most of us live in areas of the mm-hmm. country where unemployment is 3%, maybe 4 most of us have have seen the Great Recession come and go, where mm-hmm. there are, there's there's not everybody as fully is as fully employed as they were before the Great Recession, but they are employed even if they have to have a couple of jobs. They've got a couple of jobs. Almost everywhere you turn a corner, there's there's a there's a a sign on the corner that says, "Hey, we're looking for workers," or there's a sign saying "Help wanted." What do you mean? that you found in the neighborhood, the Woodlawn neighborhood in the south side of Chicago, when you say there is a need for work, what do you mean? Yeah, there are a few different a few different angles and kind of layers that create this reality. So first, you're absolutely correct. When we look at the national rate of unemployment at about 4%, in the city of Chicago, that's a slightly higher citywide at about 5.5%. In our community of Woodlawn, it's at 22%. And that statistic does not represent any of the people who have given up on the job search, right? We really have a special kind of heart and passion for those who are long-term unemployed, which is anyone that hasn't had consecutive, consistent work for longer than six months. And so many people, you know, have given up. Maybe it's been two years. Maybe it's been seven years. And a big part of that and what makes our community different is access. You know, since the 1950s, we've drastically lost population. Um, We were about 90,000 residents at that point in time compared to about 25,000 now. So with that mass exodus, a lot of the jobs that were local and where a lot of people were employed also moved. So in some cases, we have people taking public transportation to work up to two hours one way. Right, which is really unsustainable if you're making nine, ten dollars an hour, and um, all of the time you spend for those things. So, another layer of that that's really critical is education. Right, more and more we see some of the opportunities, especially in our city, that are available are more competitive, and and about forty percent of the people we work with don't have a high school education even. Um, and part of that is systemic issues. Um, one of the things we do to address that is GED tutoring to open up some of those options again for them. Okay, so again, we have to we have to unpack some of this because not all of us understand this reality. And as we study, we realize that you know. It, the things going on on the south side of Chicago in that very urban environment are being repeated. That's probably not the right word. The, the, yeah, I mean, it's that kind of thing is going on in the urban environs across the country. Isn't that true? Absolutely. All right, so to, let's let's be really specific. HopeWorks Chicago, which you were one of the co-found, co-founders, when you... I mean, you said there's a there's a great need for work. As you guys were doing your study, you spent a whole year going, well, how, what's the best way we can serve our communities? We need to, we have a need for work. How are you trying to meet those needs? You, you just mentioned GED training and tutoring so people can pass their GED because they don't have a high school uh, diploma. How does this work? Our model really originates out of this place of not seeing other options that took people in individually to assess what specific needs does this person need in order to get a job. So traditionally, kind of in the workforce development field broadly, 
uh, we see a lot of classroom-style training for a specific type of job, maybe working on a floor at a manufacturing facility or becoming a CNA at a hospital, right, things like that that are kind of across the board. We can work with 20 people at a time. There's a clear outcome. Um, But what we see is that, you know, what about the person who doesn't have the educational attainment to be successful in that kind of setting? What about the person who hasn't worked in 10 years and isn't going to qualify for that job because of their history? So our process, we take people in individually. We work with them one-on-one. They're matched either with a staff person or a volunteer who kind of goes through a process with them to not to design not only, you know, what are their goals they want to accomplish as far as what kind of job they want, but what are some of the other barriers that are in place, like housing insecurity, like educational needs or goals, like childcare provision, transportation, right? Some of these other things that even if somebody gets a job, we often see that it's much harder to keep that job. Right. If you don't have other people you can rely on to pick your kids up from school or if your child is ill and maybe in the hospital, um, to have somebody else to be there, right? These very practical things that oftentimes the cycle that we see in low-income communities is that when you're living really close to the margin like that, when there's a crisis, the job is the first thing to go. And, of course, I look at that personally, and I think if that was my situation and my child was in danger or my child was ill or, you know, there was a situation like this, of course that's what I'm going to prioritize. So, really, our mission is to look at the whole person, think about those other aspects, those other dynamics, be it healthcare, some of those other things that I mentioned, and think about how we can support them putting those pieces in place preemptively while they're in the job search so that they not only can get in to a job, but they really can keep it and grow in their career over time. Is it your goal to keep people in the same neighborhood so that you're building community, or is it sometimes your advice to people to uh, move out of the community to, to go somewhere else? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think a lot of the reality is that it depends on it depends on the career field that people are looking for. You know, they're in the city of Chicago specifically, kind of our ecosystem of work right now. A lot of the factory jobs that, and many of them have a lot of upward mobility potential, are located very far from the city center in the suburban areas. Right, they're out west, they're out northwest. Yeah, I mean, they're exactly. It's hard to sustain that kind of lifestyle commuting from the city unless the, you know, the financial incentive is significant. Right, so and housing, been, housing out on the west side is way more money than housing on the south side, too. Isn't that true? Ed, that can be true. It usually is, yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's another thing is a lot, of, a lot of our housing has been neglected, and there, even when people are in homes, a lot of times it's not necessarily safe conditions. And that's a really frequent thing we see. And um, the transients caused by housing concerns, uh, right now in the last year, over 40% of the people we've worked with have moved at least twice in the last year. Oh, my. Well, let me just stop for a second, because, you know, obviously the name of the program is I Work For Him. And, and we've talked a lot about the issues that you're seeing there in the South Side we're, 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 and the needs you're trying to meet. But this is all driven by a biblical worldview that's in, laid in your heart, isn't it, Rebecca? 
Oh, absolutely. We're talking with Rebecca King. She's co-founder and executive director of Hope Works Chicago, putting her faith in action right there on the south side in the neighborhood of Woodlawn. You can check them out online at hopeworkschicago.org, hopeworkschicago.org. So, you know, we were talking about the fact that um, they're looking at the world from a biblical worldview. And um, you were talking, Rebecca, about that. And so we want to kind of look at how Jesus talked about meeting the needs of other people. And how does Hope Work Chicago help with that same kind of helping with the basic needs of humanity? Yeah, you know, I I really connect with that even on a personal level. I, I grew up in a Christian home, and I'm so grateful for that. And mm really had lots of opportunities to explore my faith and be in situations to see other people really putting that into action. But as I've grown up and the the older I get, I see really that connectedness to what Jesus has called us to do in serving others as such a significant part of how he's working in my own life. So I really love that through HopeWorks, you know, being in this economic development space, we have an opportunity to really address the root causes and the needs of poverty. You know, in the Christian world over the past few years, we've loved to say the phrase, teach a man to fish, right, as part of our mercy strategy in the church. But the question we ask less often is, what if there are no fish in the pond, Hmm. right? What impacts long-term transformation of families, communities, and cities is really having the tools and the equipping to make a change and to take ownership of that change. And I think often about how our role as an organization as an, and as individuals working within that is frequently more and more about providing access to networks. You know, opportunities to get jobs like most of us do that might otherwise be inaccessible. Yeah, but I, a lot of people listening are going, but, but Jim, Martha, Rebecca, I, I don't even know anybody in these tough areas that, that are struggling with, with basic economic needs, that people that have a, a struggle for housing or food or clothing. I don't know anybody there. I wouldn't know how to get plugged in. I, I, how, you know, this isn't where you expected to be. I mean, you grew up in Montana. There's, I don't believe there's any urban blight in Montana, right? I mean, there's no, are there, <laughs> there any? Aren't, you know, we could stop with urban. You know, there aren't. Right, I was going to say, there's no, no <laughs> urban. There in is Mont- no urban. <laughs> That's when you get a whole bunch of elk or bison running by, and you're like, there's the urban blight we got. Okay. But so, I mean, how did you. I mean, what you're doing is what Jesus did. He's meeting the basic needs of humanity. Uh, you're, you're teaching people not just, you're not giving them a fish, and you're not just teaching them to fish. But you're teaching them how to sell fish. I mean, you're really equipping them to be able to provide for themselves. Those are, that's really ushering in the kingdom one piece at a time. How does all your biblical training fit into this as you feed into the lives of people each and every day? You know, I really start with Genesis 2.15 that says, the Lord, of, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And we see that that covenant that God made with Adam, right, that command to work as essential to who we've been created to be as children of God. And we look at the people in our community that have lost that, that have been out of work. And I think in some ways there's a restoration that is needed through that holy practice of work. I'm so grateful to 
you know, the faith and work movement nationally that's really pushing this conversation in churches and for Christians to think about how that integrates with who we are. So from a macro level, absolutely, that informs everything that we do, really ushering in that peace and and communing with God on a deeper level through work, right? And practically, you know, I'm so grateful for our partnership with Living Hope Church that has really created a space of openness um, to faith and spiritual seeking so often when people are unemployed. And, you know, I think about this even in my own life and in family members, you know, when there's a season of uncertainty or a difficult job search, and the longer that goes on, there are insecurities and uncertainties and stress and worry that so quickly arise. And so often we we work with people that are are deeply broken and hurting in those places. And it's become this, you know, somewhat to me unexpectedly, a beautiful opportunity to look for opportunities not only to share our faith, but to pray with people and to be able to encourage them in that very specific season of need and through the church to really extend to them a community of Christ followers and the body of church that can be an even bigger support than the services accessed through a nonprofit. Okay, we've talked about a lot of big overarching principles, and I really want to get deep because really my hope is, and, and having the show today with you, Rebecca, and talking about Hope Works Chicago, as Martha and I are talking with you, is that this can be reproduced across the country, that people mm-hmm. can get the idea, hey, if Rebecca King from Montana can go to the south side of Chicago <laughs> and make an impact. <laughs> so, I'm, sorry, I love that. I grew up in I grew up in south the, the south side of Minneapolis, you know, but 30 miles south of Minneapolis, in the suburbs. <laughs> I've lived in the small towns of, of Minnesota. I, I know how different that is from the south side of Chicago as I have wandered through the south side of my car. This is... You, you've got a high calling in your life. You're bringing about human flourishing. How can people... Let, let, let's, let's change that question. What kinds of very specific things are you equipping people with? Do you offer people uh, in the Woodlawn neighborhood so that they can start pursuing flourishing again through employment and, and things like that? Yeah, you know, very practically... Um, we we deal with a whole range of people. We have people who haven't worked in 10 years and come through our doors needing to work because they need money and have no idea where to start. So with them, we're doing things like career assessments, skills assessments, researching opportunities, really getting to know who they are, what types of things are available to them, you know, how, how far they're willing to travel, what types of things they're open to. Other people who, you know, this is a real story, a gentleman who had a master's degree and had professional experience, got laid off in the recession and had been so discouraged that he hadn't gotten back out there. With him, he needed personalized you know, interview coaching. We were able to get volunteers who do hiring in large businesses to to give him some mock interviews to really press him, and he was ultimately successful. You know, we mentioned earlier some educational barriers. We're pulling in grad students from the University of Chicago and other places that are individually working with your people, working with people through specific subject areas, that they need to be able to be competent in in order to pursue employment like CNA training or a manufacturing position that might have an educational requirement. So how many people have you been able to help in the last year? 
I mean, talk, yeah, talk about the numbers of people going through your doors and people you're touching. Yes. So our core programming is in employment, but we also operate as a resource center. So across all of our programs, we've served about 350 individuals in this last year. 127 of those were people who completed the employment program, 82 of whom now have stable employment. Mm. Wow, that's great. So, so I'm just curious, in that process, you obviously build relationships with those people. Um, do you stay in touch with the people as they get jobs to um, help them just to keep it, like you said, stable employment? I mean, I think that's a key word, right, for what you're working with. Oh, absolutely. You know, very short story. Uh, one of our first ever program participants in 2014 had had white-collar work experience, again, had lost his job, was in difficult times, came to us. We were able to get him a job as a janitor, well below his capability, but he needed work. Um, we reached out to him, tried to follow up, see where he was doing, you know, how things were going, if he needed anything else, and had a really difficult time getting in, in contact with him. And about two years later, he came back to us and said, you know, I'm so sorry I never returned your calls, but I've been at that job for the last two years, and I'm doing so well that I'm up for a promotion. Mm-hmm. But I have to show that I'm competent at Excel because this promotion will make me a manager, and I haven't used Excel in five years. I don't have compu- I don't have a computer or internet access at home. Can somebody here help me practice? And that was the kind of thing that we were able to sit down with him, pair him with a volunteer, a university student who is very competent at Excel. He practiced for about three hours, went in, aced the interview, and got the promotion. Mm. But to me, you know, one of our core values is growth. And I love that story because as much as we want to, you know, stay in relationship and contact, and with some people it's easier than others, I was reminded that, you know, the beauty of him knowing that we were still accessible to him when he was ready for the next step is really, really where we want to be. Well, yeah, that speaks powerfully that he knew that you were a place he could go back to and, and trusted you to help him get to that next level. Exactly. So before we go to break, and we have about a minute, how are those people that you're working with, the 350 all the way down to the 82 that are able to get, you know, have stable jobs right now, um, how are you connecting them into the church? Is that happening? Yes. So, of course, that's optional. Um, Mm -hmm. But we have seen really strong success with the people who want to plug in in that way and are looking for a church home. Um, really seen transformation and really for the whole family there have been some key people who have benefited from that all right we're talking today with rebecca king she's with an organization on the south side of chicago in the woodlawn neighborhood called hope works chicago hopeworkschicago.org hopeworkschicago.org rebecca here's a question for you you're working in an urban environment where but you grew up in a rural environment i mean really montana's got like 57 people that live there so everywhere (laughs) in montana i'm just kidding i've driven across montana i know that it's got people then you're one of the lucky few yeah yeah yeah. the whole eastern part of montana from the rockies all the way all the way over to minnesota all looks the same it's just wheat (laughs) <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing okay so you grew up in this very different environment how did you learn how to understand the needs of an urban neighborhood that really is suffering how did you learn to understand that hmm, that's an excellent question that i don't actually get asked that often i appreciate that 
you know, a lot of a lot of stumbling around, a lot of asking probably ignorant questions. <laughs> um, but I think I think ultimately if I can look back and kind of the whole process for me very personally, I think it was driven by a willingness to take the risk, right, and a willingness to put myself in uncomfortable situations, to ask uncomfortable questions, to open myself to learning and listening. And as you actually asked the last question, I was reminded of, somebody else who's actually become a very dear friend of mine and her friendship was really one of the the key ways I could point to having learned what it what it means to be invested in a community on the south side of Chicago to get to know the people to get to know the needs I never pretend that I know I will ever know that fully because that's not where I'm from that's not who I am because I had many, many privileges that are different than that context, but through really close relationships and people sharing their lives with me. Um, this woman who actually was a member of the church, and when we came in to form HopeWorks formally out of the church, she really served as an ambassador to the community, a close friend, uh, and advisor throughout the process, really counseling us on from her perspective the things that were needed the things that were wanted and wasn't and still isn't afraid to tell me when i've got it wrong and i appreciate that (laughs) beautiful do you want to give her a shout out uh yes because i will share this with her later so thank you anitra for all of your advice we love you Mm, that's great (laughs) now rebecca you can't really work in an urban environment of the south side of chicago and live in bartlett or barrington or you know arlington high arlington i mean you 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 had to move to the south side of chicago didn't you yeah i do live in the city and it is definitely a different perspective a different location than the suburbs but actually i'm really grateful for kind of how that happened for me i spent the first year of working at hopeworks living in Wheaton, Illinois, actually, um, where I had lived previously, where I was very comfortable. I had a church home, friends, right, everything that I had kind of worked to develop and suddenly was catapulted in this completely different world. And spending about an hour and a half commute one way each day really forced me to wrestle through what that meant and the differences between, you know, even the fact that at the end of the day, I was able to leave, right? And the safety concerns, the needs, the poverty, et cetera, et cetera, all the issues that we were dealing with day in and day out, the fact that I would drive home and be in a completely different context mm. was a really a really important process for me to really wrestle through what that means. And I think honestly it's given me um, a better a better understanding and has helped me have better conversations with People and churches who really want to be invested in the city, but don't don't know how, and physically are so far removed. And I'm grateful to be able to have, at times, to be a bridge in that space. Mm, that's great because we need bridges um, that connect the different um, communities. So, speaking of community, how is your ministry beginning to impact the community? How are you seeing um, things be impacted? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I think of so many of the individuals that even when I'm asked that question, right, faces that kind of flood my mind. And I think about single moms who have, you know, worked 
tirelessly to make ends meet for their children um, but might not have formal employment, you know, one whom we had been involved with for several years, very entrepreneurial, and then just this last year became an assistant manager at a local center. And the pride with which she was able to show me her first business card was Hmm. so striking to me. You know, I've I remember when I was first graduating college, when all of my friends were getting their first business cards, and that moment is the same, right? Back to that theme of we all want the same things. But beyond that, that same family, you know, her teenage daughter actually just last month got her first job. And she's graduating high school, wanted to get a jump on working, and that's been successful for her. Uh, the same family, they're younger, middle school-aged boys are engaging in our after-school programs and summer programs that are teaching some of the same soft skills like responsibility and confidence and, um, you know, time management that we're working with with adults. You know, as you see the impact in your own life, this is you said Hope Works has been now a little over three years, correct? Correct, yes. Okay, so... How has your faith been impacted as you have fed into the lives of hundreds of people in helping them learn what God originally intended in each one of us flourishing as you teach them these things, as you've lived in a different world and experienced, really, you've, you've learned to empathize with people and really experience what they're experiencing in, these, in some of these areas that are really struggling. How has your faith been impacted personally? Hmm. Many, many ways. The first, mm-hmm. the first is I've learned to pray a lot more. Um, the second thing is I've learned that I'm more prideful than I think I am. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, being a product of the evangelical church, having gone through Christian education my entire life, really in this beautiful ecosystem of the church, um, coming into a context assuming that I know a lot more Uh, about people, about faith, about God's calling than I really do. And it's been an incredibly humbling journey to be reminded that my plans are not always God's plans, and to really be willing to surrender that and be open to learning continually and adjusting as God is teaching me. So what kind of help do you need? Always financial resources are a need for us. You know, we are celebrating that we've hit this three-year mark. And really, as we think about the next two to three years, we have big plans, big visions for impact, not just in Woodlawn, but throughout our city. You mentioned, you know, how can this be replicable? That's definitely on our table. And we'd invite anyone who's listening that might be touched by our story and interested in the work we're doing to learn more about us and continue. Consider financial partnership at hopeworkschicago.org backslash donate. Um, You know, for the price of a cup of coffee, you can help provide reliable transportation for one person to interview. Hmm, That's pretty powerful. What do you think your biggest roadblock is in front of you from helping more lives? Yeah, you know, right now and kind of in tandem with that need for resources, we're identifying new space. We are kind of maxed out at the capacity of people we can serve currently out of the space that we share with Living Hope Church. So over the next 18 months, we're really trying to identify a new home base. That's pretty cool, a new home base. All right. All right, so in our minute left, you know, I, I want you to give us some, you know, just describe for us some of the faces of the people you've touched 
and 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 the responses like think of some people maybe just use even first names if you can or if if not make up first names but people that you've touched that walked through your doors that had a specific need that hope works chicago was able to help yeah you know i think of david who came to us had a job lined up but needed a resume in order to get the job and i sat down with him personally and in that process i realized that he couldn't read, and that's why he didn't have a resume. And so to go about that gracefully and with care and consideration, to get him the paper document he needed to get the job he'd already had lined up was really powerful for me. Mm. Another young man, uh, Joe, who you know has a lot of energy, a lot of heart, a lot of desire to give back to the community, um, but had never been taught to work hard. And we were able to get him a job at FedEx, and he struggled for a while, and now he's excelling. And I've celebrated that. That's fantastic. Rebecca King from Hope Work Chicago, thank you for sharing your story with us from the south side, from the Woodlawn neighborhood. Thanks for sharing it right here on I Work For Him. Thank you so much. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace is our mission field, but ultimately, I I work work for him. him. Thank you for listening to the I Work For Him podcast with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Please visit iWorkForHim.com to learn more about connecting your faith and work, to join the I Work For Him nation, or subscribe to our weekly blog. You can also follow us on social media at iWorkForHim to stay up to date and meet our guests. If today's message spoke to you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your review will launch more workplace missionaries across America. That's at iWorkForHim and online iWorkForHim.com. I work the number 4 him.com